The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, a program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material and presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. And I'm Vanessa. This is episode number 271 of our uh, fine program. Uh, can you believe we've been doing this that shit long? I haven't been. I haven't fine. been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I took a gap in the middle. Nobody but me. And I haven't done 270 regular episodes. I mean, I've, I skipped one or two, technically. Yeah, technically. Of, you know, I was there, uh, but couldn't talk kind of thing. And uh, I probably should have just been doing that this month because I haven't ex- got, <coughs> got my voice back yet. But I'm working on it. That was a Richard cough for you. <laughs> I can't do the little, I can't do the little high pitched kind of, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. I love it when you do that. And Jason says, "Excuse me, <laughs> or bless you." Because like, yeah. Uh, it's good stuff. Mm. I think that's it. Uh, episode 271, if I had a hammer. Uh, what I want to talk about, go ahead and, uh, okay, say it. The hammer is my penis. Thank you. Uh, I, I just knew you wanted to. It, it's just lingering there, just just hanging out there for everybody to see. No. No, it's not. <laughs> it's a dang, it was your dangling part. It's, it's, it's a metaphor. It's not. We don't record videos. So the fact is not actually for everybody to see. No, that's fair. <laughs> so I, uh, what I'd like to kind of uh, pose the, the, the question about today's topic is, is about how much of a character construct, how much of a character, the way you um, play them, the way you build them, the way you identify them, is built specifically around their skills and uh, the things that they're good at and how much that informs every part of your play. We were talking um, the other day uh, – Richard ran a, a game for us uh, online where he had developed a simple system that gave us like specific kind of points to put in skills that we had different levels of. And yeah. then there was that encouragement to see how much you could focus on doing things with what you were good at. Right. Kind of as, as opposed to the opposite, obviously. And that was a pretty simple system. but Which the, it was meant to because this, the focus is on right. the story. But the, the premise has been kind of um, in, in a lot of other games we've seen. You know, some more than others. And there's, of course, a strength to that regardless. If you're playing, even if you're playing a game like D&D, you're going to be best serviced by doing what you're good at instead of having to rely on the things that you're not, which is why it's an ensemble game where you want other people to pick up the slack in different areas. You can't have a game with all fighters. Uh, You can. Watch me. Okay. You can. Not a successful campaign. Um, Again, you can. Murder hobo success. But I I will tell you that in in a traditional sense, you're right, in as much as... To make it very successful, you're best off with a game master who's designing it to be appropriately handled by The only way to have a successful all-fighter campaign or a successful all-rogue campaign or a successful all-wizard campaign is if you have designed a campaign specifically for that purpose and you're not going to run across magey shit when you're fighters and you're not going to run across roguey shit when you're mages. It, I would it, say it has to be designed. I would that say way. I I wouldn't mind putting that to the test because I'm not sure that it's actually as cut and dry as it sounds. Okay, but I I'm, would. I'm up for an all fighter game where everybody plays a everybody brick like character. Well, now now wait a minute. Brick is only one style, many styles okay. of fighter, and I could see you playing fighters that have different strengths and weaknesses in a lot of different areas. Okay, that that is a little bit different. So I, I but all fighters, nothing, no healers, no magic users. Florentine broadsword, I stab and slash. I'm just saying that I think it's possible. Archer. I think it would be challenging and. In the long run, as a game master, I might find it a little unsatisfying. We'd spend a lot of time hiding from monsters but, and, and that's where for I'm talking. Is, that's kind of where I'm balancing success at. Is but that is if assuming, it's not a satisfying game. It is assuming kind of a standard like fantasy adventure type of scenario that fits the D and D parameter. Because, for example, if you, a lot of times when we play like a if you play a game that's a sci fi game and everybody's playing space marines, it doesn't mean necessarily you're going to have a an unsuccessful or unsatisfying campaign because likely they can handle about everything in the same way they handle everything else. In Casper Van Dien. The hammer is their penis. Again. So I, Again. there's definitely a lot to be said for that. And I, I want to – I, I kind of want to get into the question, too, of character identity and how that, that kind of plays out. First, I wanted to go ahead and uh, mention a couple things off the top. Uh, at this point, uh, when we're recording this, we're heading into February of the year – 
Uh, we have not put together, if you haven't heard anything about TsunamiCon this year yet, I know I usually have initial information out, schedules, venue, all that stuff kind of. Usually, actually, by this point in the year, we're selling our VIGs and stuff. We're doing our pre-sales. I, it isn't because you have, just haven't heard. It's because we just don't have any information yet. We are planning, if everything comes together, to do a convention in the fall, just like we always have. This time, hopefully, a live convention. That is the plan. But especially with, you know, the public health crisis continuing to be kind of weird and wobbly, we don't know what to expect. We have to plan as well as we can accordingly. And uh, so we're taking steps carefully. Plus, there's just a lot to work through because, you know, venues are in high demand now because people are starting to do events. And frankly, that's a lot of competition for doing events because, you know, that includes things that are like weddings and shit like that that only... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that people had to put off the last couple of years. And, you know, yeah. so, uh, so there's a little bit of a, a process. And there are other new events popping up. I, I noticed that in Wichita, we actually have a uh, quote-unquote gaming convention happening just a week before the date that I was planning to do TsunamiCon and planning to do TsunamiCon, although the focus will largely be on, like, video games and stuff like that. But huh. they all have tabletop stuff, too. So uh, it, in my opinion, uh, everybody helps each other float in this kind of business. So it's a matter of maybe getting with them and seeing if I can uh, get a booth <laughs> <laughs> and sell tickets for Sonomica. But uh, we'll see how things go. We're the shot, and we got and we got time to figure it out yet. I'm, you know, it's I just it's I usually am trying to be preemptive and uh, really kind of working things out by this point in the year. But it's don't don't think that. Just because you haven't heard anything and we're not there yet, that it means nothing's happening. We definitely plan to make it happen, and there's a lot of steps to go through, but we aren't necessarily a crunch for time yet. So just to keep everybody on that page. We did have to cancel our recent game day. Uh, we will, if you're wondering, we will be trying to reschedule that, get something else in. If it turns out to be best for everybody involved, we may put it off till what would it be the next season, which would be in March or April probably, but we'll figure it out. And if people want me to, I'm happy to host another online uh, convention for, like, Tsunami Game Fair in um, April again, the end of April. You know, but uh, we've got to talk some of that out, I think. Yeah, and I, <laughs> and we have a lot of people that really enjoyed it. But it, it is a bit of – I mean, it isn't a, a ton of work not compared to running a regular convention, of course. But to make it work – to make it really good, it, it does take some, some setup and everything. And so i, I got to be sure that it's going to be enough, you know, to make it, I guess – we will see what happens. Um, I'll keep everybody kind of updated on that. We haven't gotten to do um, a whole lot of gaming lately. We had a bunch of sickness going around. You know, yeah. we had to cancel yeah. a ton of shit, and that was really, really dispiriting. Partially because I was one of the sick people for a while there. But uh, uh, things seem to be kind of slowly getting back to normal, so I'm looking forward to doing more of that. Uh, in addition to Richard's game, I, which I, I don't mind kind of discussing a little bit if you want to get into it. Uh, I, I don't know. Okay. I mean, if you do, because I, I, I know sometimes you like to talk about some of your system ideas and everything, but uh, I mean, that was like a week ago. And yeah, I'm sure it's, it's also it's a very esoteric game and partway in. I right. Don't wanna, I don't know. I don't know how much I can say. Oh, yeah. And you don't want to give away. away. Yeah. You don't give away stuff. The other thing we did recently that I think is really worth bringing up because I think it'd be fun to kind of smack around a little bit. I am running on our online Tuesday night game, I'm running The Desert of Desolation. It's a classic first edition. Um, set of modules that I'm uh, adapting to fifth. I mean, I've got some materials that are helping me with that because there was a great conversion guide that somebody put together on on the DMs Guild, and I downloaded that about that and some other materials, and then doing a lot of like stuff the way I want it. And also, we're running it on um, Roll Twenty, so I am putting you know like converting maps and putting setting up encounters and all that stuff, right? Putting all the information in Roll Twenty, so it's most accessible there. And so a lot of my prep at this point is just conversion and setup. But I have run this campaign a couple, three times in the course of my, I mean, I had a lot of false starts, actually, because I've had the books since I was a kid, you know, in the 80s when I was gaming. And I've tried to run it several times over the years. I've only actually run all the way through the campaign twice in my 35 years of gaming. And it's been a while since the last time. And it just so happened that I realized the group that we had together on Tuesday nights currently hadn't been one of those. Any of those, none of those people have been in that. In, the, oh. in the, those complete, you know, none of us. Okay, yeah. no. Um, Nira had been too young the last time I ran it and hadn't really been involved with the campaign. She heard some <laughs> stuff on the slide, but you know, <laughs> that explains why we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> uh, and and, and, um, we and kid, kid was in one or two of the false starts way back in the day, but never got to play much of it. So he liked the style of it, but never got to enjoy any of the substance. So you guys get to this point where typically what I see happen in the game is you show up at this temple, you beat up a bunch of dervishes, 
and you'll work your way through to the pyramid and start in there and do the thing. Anyway, so this was an eye-opening experience because you guys showed up at the temple, got beat up by a bunch of dervishes, thrown in the clink, and had to be rescued by Vanessa's character, who's the coward that runs away from everything. Who, who saved them by Vanessa. running away from the everything. <laughs> so fucking good. I was really curious to see what you guys thought of that part of the adventure. I realized Jason wasn't there, so he may not have much to say. But um, I enjoyed listening. Yeah. It, it was um, not I, what I had anticipated. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't what I anticipated either. I did cry a little bit when I opened up my character sheet next week and all my equipment was moved out of my... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, um, we we keep all the characters on D&D Beyond. So one of the nice things about that is that as the game master in between sessions, I have access to the sheets. So I was able to actually take – and I didn't delete your equipment or anything. No, you put them in a rowboat. But, uh, yeah, I gave everybody a container and called it taken away from me. <laughs> taken from me. Well, I like how you said that. You're like, I used a rowboat, and I just renamed it. And I'm like, oh, not for everybody. That explains why Ken's character has, has a, rowboat a rowboat on his yeah. sheet. I missed one. Then I loved the other one was, uh, why is my encumbrance so high? And I'm like, it's probably your rowboat. <laughs> yeah, it was the rowboat. <laughs> it was the rowboat. <laughs> oh, my God. That was funny. Instead of being completely unencumbered, <laughs> he's hauling around a rowboat oh, on his back. And, and I, obviously the visuals were the rowboat. Yeah, and that's one of the foibles of um, using software to handle all this kind of stuff is but little little things like that. It's still nice. That I love fandom. They really do. D&D Beyond's well. a good platform. I wish really they good. could do some more it platforms. Is. I get why D&D being the highest percentage is where their focus is right now. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've got – I know some folks that are really into um, what's the Fantasy Grounds. Yeah. You know, virtual tabletop. Yeah. So, I mean, I've looked into that and looked at some of the characters. You've used it before a little I, bit. Yeah. I have. I have so many mixed feelings. It does what it does. It does great. What I want, it doesn't. And and it takes up a lot of screen space. And if you're on, if you're on the laptop that week, it's just not going to work. That's fair. I I have gotten kind of so addicted to using because I got three monitors on my system at home. Yeah, I've gotten so used to that with running a game. It would be, I mean, it's even still not as much real estate as I'd like. I I still have to shuffle some stuff around. Heavy, yeah. But that's because we're using we're using Roll Twenty and we use D and D Beyond and we use um, we use video conferencing software like Zoom or what's the one we're using right now? Butter. Uh, Butter. Butter. Yeah. Yeah. Try that out. And uh, so, so that, that always has to panel so I can Butter see everybody, you know. Butter has a whiteboard with at the free level. And yeah, it doesn't have cool. a timer, but it doesn't let you record. But are you really recording your game sessions? If you are, obviously. That's Feedback a at prismaticsunami.com. <laughs> <laughs> Richard really wants to know. And where can we listen? Uh, <laughs> that's legit. I... I don't have uh, any issues with all that. I mean, I, I don't mind the shuffling and, and working with the screens and stuff like that. It, it's worth it for the kind of gameplay we get, the level of gameplay we get doing it online. Uh, but it definitely has been taking some getting used to. Right. And um, and especially you know, something like this where I'm using like old, you got handbooks and stuff up too. So I've got like PDFs yeah. and, you know. Still, like I that. love that character management because mm-hmm. if that handles all the little additions and subtractions in the game, and mind you, it's 5e, it's not 3.5. So it's it's not insane number of calculations, but still, if that's handling that, I can focus on who my character is and play my character, and I can keep doing the things where I'm like, hey, Ben Doc, um, I think we might want to go through that doorway and see what's up ahead there. Or if you could go over there really quick. See, I told you I could check for traps. <laughs> 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 I keep sending the big <laughs> the big hobgoblin through the doorways so I don't first. Think there's any That's traps. how I check Why for don't traps. You check? Um, so the we, we've <laughs> talked a little bit on the show before about you know playing on the map that way. It's definitely kind of changed things for us. Uh, the interesting thing with this was you guys at the end of a session we basically had a near TPK. Uh, I did make the decision that the dervishes, unless they had to kill somebody in the course of the way they were fighting in that situation would be more interested in taking people alive uh, because either they could question them if they wanted to or they could sell them as slaves you know, up to the, the desert nomads elsewhere who did that kind of stuff. So there was that kind of you know lingering in my head that I didn't have to kill people. They could do non-lethal damage on the last attack, things like that, you know. 
then characters are in the five E rules. Characters are then unconscious for once they're stabilized and as zero, but then unconscious for like one d four hours. So then I just kind of roll that for everybody. Meanwhile, um, Vanessa's character Phoenix, character Phoenix escapes. She's the only one who runs off because she's the one who hangs back from everybody else as an artillery caster anyway, and never gets herself close to the combat. So once once she realizes that. There wasn't any tanks left. <laughs> Nobody was going to stop them from coming after her. Two she people are down. Time to go. The problem being that she was in the middle of the fucking desert. And, uh, you know, a little dangerous place to kind of just hang out on your own. Just a little bit, yeah. I had the just camel driver. across the desert. A lot of camels. Uh, and so uh, the next thing that I did was I, I, I talked to Vanessa about it a little bit, said, you know, we can we can play with this a little bit if you want to. And here's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, the And I had the camel, your camel guide, your guide, your camel driver guide, uh, as an NPC that I could then use to inject an idea or two. Yes. And he was like, maybe we can go ahead and negotiate for the freedom. They'd probably be interested in selling them off anyway. They don't, you know, uh, kill infidels unless they have no choice, blah, blah, blah. So we'll try and play it that way. But I also wanted to throw kinks in that and make Vanessa work for it a little bit. So, And so, then I had some really good rolls. And then so the first <laughs> thing, I, so like the, that day, that after was that afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, I think it was, yeah. before a game? That yeah, afternoon, like I kind of randomly send her a post that is a play-by-post style kind of opening, you know, on Messenger. And, uh, you know, kind of with descriptive stuff, you know, as the sun comes down over the blah, 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 you know. And you are you are waiting here and this is happening and then the guy comes back and there's this thing. And so and then she immediately starts kind of coming back with response. You get into it pretty quick. <laughs> that was good. Because uh, I didn't warn you I was going to do that or anything. No, and I get a message like, in, in big capital letters. Time for role playing. Yeah, time for role playing. So I went ahead and just kind of injected the narrative where he comes back to her with people, with somebody that's going to broker or try to broker this for them. And, uh, but he has to kind of, like, he had to kind of sell the idea that she was somebody more important than she is or somebody different than she is and had to rely on her to kind of pick up the cues on the way in because he didn't have time to warm her, warn her. <laughs> that was interesting. So, yeah, so he came in and she could overhear him talking loudly from the next room and kind of, like, trying to prompt her information about how she needs to, you know, behave to fake her way through this. Yeah, and so it was kind of fun watching uh, her come back with responses and writing her character's part and... Um, we did that and we probably only did that for about 45 minutes or so yeah, and then like uh, kind of got to the point and said okay and that brings us to the start of Phoenix's role in the session so I knew that everybody else was going to be captured somewhere inside also though two of the characters were treated differently than the two other characters who were captured uh, two of the characters that were captured uh, Richard's character and Ken's character were uh, just kind of basically put in a room where they could be under guard and tied up and left there, you know, looking on them occasionally, whatever, but left alone. Whereas, um, kid's character who during the fight had been exceedingly contentious and vocal about how badly they were going to treat everybody and how, what they, how they were going to loot the place and all this stuff that he kept saying out loud <laughs> and calling them names. Uh, he was trying to incite them, you know? He really was. And killed people, of course, doing it. And so he, they decided, had to die. But because the other characters with the nearest character had this mark on her that belonged to this guild, uh, who she didn't know had any presence in this part of the world where you guys are at. Surprise. And finds out now, you know, what do these people want with us? You know, what is their business here? We have no business with with your people. Uh, so she suddenly was kind of surprised with this and had to kind of figure out where she stood on that. But obviously the guy didn't want to keep her imprisoned because of this affiliation. <laughs> and so when uh, Phoenix showed up to get everybody out, you know, they kind of worked that except for... And, and I made it so they didn't have a choice. They couldn't just like, um, you know, make their peace with everything and be all like, okay, we're happy we all took care of this. We'll be on our way and maybe we'll sneak past or something. Well, going to be any of that because I made it so that they had to deal with the dervishes by making sure that the dervishes kept J- kid's character. And that meant you guys had to rescue him. Who was a priest of a different god. Yes. And you were going to end up having, and these are religious zealots. And so you end up having to, you end up having to kill dervishes anyway to come in to rescue. And then we have this big, this, this session, half a session long, knockdown, drag out fight going from room to room through this temple. And you get to the vat, to the last part of the last place where um, kid's character Riddle doesn't necessarily realize that the rescue is what's happening because he plays very in character. He's very headspace. So even though he knows what's going on at the table and he can see what's happening on the map, his character doesn't know that's his friend's coming. 
I don't think he could so see what was going he's on. He's running. On the map. Oh, that's true. He was, you know, he we was do have the limitation room. by you know that's right. So his character, if his character could have seen, then and then the consequence he could have seen, but he knew yeah. because he was there at the table. But he so he withdraws. He tries to run the other way, and he gets chased down. And the round that the PCs get there to try and rescue him, he gets killed and fails his death saves before he can be horribly uh, one turn before we could have saved him. Uh, and his character died, and it was uh you know it was, it was ironic in a way because we had a near TPK the session before, and then the next session one character actually dies. I still feel so bad because I did not remember that I had reaped. I pricked up my ring of spell storing on purpose from the and loot it had they taken. Had, yeah, that's what I had stored in it. I had two level two healing words and a level one healing word in it. Oh, dude, that could have just done. I could have just. As soon as you were that's outside, why I had him. the spell there. Yeah. So even though I was out of slots, that's why I had the ring in the first place. Although I don't know how attunement works if it's off your hand for a day and comes back on. Mm. I don't know how the spells work if it's off your hand and comes back on. Maybe it wouldn't have worked anyway. That's a good point. I don't remember what the attunement. I don't remember. I had to look it up. Um, whether you are no longer tuned to and I've separated from you for like 24 hours or whether it has to require like somebody else attuning it. I mean, you would think that after a while it would be quote detuned you know anyway like right i lost that ring three years later somebody else found it and couldn't use it because i still was connected to it no it doesn't work that way yeah no but anyway uh so i i was curious because the first thing that happens is you tell everybody what happened that previous session and and, uh, i told ken because he actually missed that session um that the party got almost wiped out and uh he's like oh jailbreak yeah pretty much like yeah we'll go with that so, I mean, obviously, always you want to kind of find a way to turn these things around and make them fun. But I didn't know how it was going to go down, and I wanted to play within the reality of what was there. You know, how many bad guys there were, what they were capable of, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, pretending to be they, what, what, like a demigod. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you got to do some fun kind of yeah. trying to intimidate your way in. And Intimidation is actually one of the things I'm good at and never get to do. <laughs> nice. Well, you did that time. Yeah. But I, I thought it was a pretty good session, all things yeah. considered. And, of course, since then, kids brought in a new character and, you know, we're doing okay. I was about to say, he didn't seem to mind losing Riddle. <laughs> he was upset. He, I mean, but he was upset in that way that people are. You are when you lose yeah. a character. And you, you know, he didn't seem overly upset about All the potential that's lost and the time you spent with the character that you don't get to continue with, you know. Like my tiger character. Mm-hmm. I miss my tiger character. But I like my ty- my like my, my bard like character Jackson. that talks people into doing stupid stuff. So, sometimes for utility, sometimes for amusement. I've noticed that um, some of the characters, particularly in this party, and maybe because it's been a very kind of dungeon-y kind of game, a lot of a lot of delves and a lot of um, focus on battle, of what the characters excel at. And it kind of made me think about that, that issue of uh, building your character's identity around their talent, around their talents, talent, what they're good at. Um, I mean, Jason brought up Brick, which I think is always an interesting example because on the surface, Brick was a great example of, of a penultimate fighter. Just straightforward, you know, um, devastating with a weapon, tank, stand right there and absorb the enemy's hits, protect his allies, fighter. But the character in play had so much more dynamic to him because of the way he related to the world around him and the way he interacted with things. But it's still true that any time Brick was confronted with a challenge, he would look for a way to sword beat his way through it because that was Brick's know, That was what he had. It was, it was what he identified himself as. That was less true later in the campaign when the character was more developed and he had kingly decisions to make and challenges of political nature and, and a crown to wear. The Puppet like News that. Network. <clears throat> yeah, the Puppet oh God. News Network. And, you know the things that he, that he. A good example: the things he had ambitions to achieve. You know the things, the drives he had, his insp- the things he was inspired to do. Um, it, it changes things then, but I, I mean. When you develop a character like that, do you still feel like you're doing all those developments as just kind of an aside, you know, or through the aspects of the one thing they're good at, or is this a lot more holistic than that? It was so much more holistic than that. And I know it's been a couple of days. Because it's, you know. it's, it's, it's been a while, but it just sort of happened. When I was creating the character, I was not creating ambition. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I... I, I I wanted the guy that didn't do his paperwork, that sat on the couch and slept while other people took up the slack, 
But they kept him around because when they needed him to go do the thing that he was good at, he was the best. Interestingly enough, that in itself is a type of ambition of style, you know, because being a character who slacks off, being a person who slacks off, means that it's going to create a certain kind of sense of how you fit in with other people. So so you are the opposite of my character. My uh, character never slept and did all the paperwork. (laughs) In that game, yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I don't think they saw each other that way. I don't think they looked at it and thought, you know, I'm the opposite of him. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually. I was also a warlock who fought from range, and he fought close up with lots of beady bat swords. Beady bat swords. We were very opposite. You know, you, again, you do what you're good at, right? Right. But, you know, I I didn't want that as a player. And it wasn't until it was foisted upon me later in the campaign that it was just like, oh, okay. I'm going to have to make decisions now. <laughs> and so it all kind of came into, and you and I sat long and hard and figured out, okay, this is what Brick's doing. Um, how do we make this work? And one of the things that we did was the chess plate of the Kings that raised his mental stats. Mm-hmm. And gave him access to kingly wisdom. And gave him access to kingly wisdom where I could, where I as a player could look at the DM and go, help. Yeah, what do, what do we think here? And um, I could insert opinions that may not be helpful. And often you did. <laughs> but it but it was a fun way to play it. And Well, and when you say foisted, um, don't get the impression that Jason had this forced upon him. We talked about it when it was going down. I said foisted, not forced. I know. But I could have said no. get the wrong no. impression. Yeah. I could have said no. But I, I like that that whole thought. You try and take that into the modern world. You have a, an item that a president has with them that lets them hear the opinions of all the 40-some presidents before them. And some oh, of those God. presidents, you're not going to get the best advice, especially for this current situation. Shut up, Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> you know, I – I was really hoping for Eisenhower, and I got Trump. I would suggest not going to the theater. Or the wrong Eisenhower. (laughs) Or the wrong Eisenhower. There was a wrong Eisenhower? No. Okay. (laughs) I was like, wait, what? I did that purely for the confusion. (laughs) The wrong Adams. You could get the wrong Roosevelt. Yeah. You could. Was there a wrong Roosevelt? Uh, Uh, Teddy was a little charged. We're a little out of our uh, depth, I think. (laughs) I wasn't there. Yeah. None of, none of us slipped through the Roosevelt's. But yeah, every time you get advice Teddy from Lincoln, it's brick, always don't go to Franklin the theater. Franklin was flocks. <laughs> wow. Complete okay. to having a mechanized item that got him around. There you go. Nice. Uh, you know what? I and, and I I mean, those characters, it's, it's difficult to say because they were, they were campaign characters. So you had a long time to develop them. Long time. And, you know, you want characters to grow and change. That what may, That's one of the things that makes them fun. You want there to be development beyond just leveling and gaining new powers. You want, Speak you want, for yourself. Is that all you want? Leveling that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted out of the game. I wanted to level and get new powers. And I, I, I saw the track of what I was going to get as each level progressed. That didn't change, though. You still had those. It did change because the focus changed. I I took wisdom things instead of strength things. I took magic things instead of fighty things. There 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 were things that I changed because I was king. Interesting. There if 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 I when I when I first looked at the book and said, "Okay, if I make it to level 20, this is going to happen." About level 16, all of that changed. Interesting. I mean, it went right out the window. I never got the sense that, that was a problem. I didn't say it was a problem. Okay, I just said that it was it was a change, and but that's but one of the things that I wanted was I like powers. I like leveling and doing the things and getting the progressions and getting the XP and making my character do the things that I can see the character going to do uh, on a very simple track. I don't want to have to dig too deep into it on a personal level. Right. I I like a fairly straightforward, I'm going to go, I'm going to do, I'm going to get, we're going to be done. That's what makes me happy in play. And Interesting. So, you know, it's when things change, I roll with it and we're going to, and we went on and Brick ended up being probably my best character ever, you know, and I had a couple of good characters. Brother Sunshine is a memorable character, but I think Brick surpasses him as far as what I and the character were able to do together. My character connects the two. How weird. And your character is a link between them. 
but communism is just a red, red herring. herring. Um, I speaking of Eisenhower, um, I was, uh, I guess I was never certain. I, I never really asked. I guess I never really asked. Um, it was never for me as a game master. I mean, I, I definitely want to know what it is my players want out of the experience uh, in terms of being able to help them achieve that. But I never stopped to think or stopped to ask, is this going to fuck that up for you? Because providing challenges is my job, you know, creating the, the, the bits and pieces of story and plot that give you uh, things to, to grab onto and manipulate and often take you in areas that you're not expecting is, is definitely part of the job. Let me make clear, you did not fuck up my game. Good. Well, that's good. Yeah, I didn't you, think so. You, you did not fuck up the trend of my enjoyment. I still enjoyed playing King Brick. Even though there were some moments where I had to make, where I, the player, had to make decisions that I, the player, wouldn't have wanted to two years earlier. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I think it would have been really cool to be the right hand sword of the king. Just to keep rolling on that track. And if Alec had been picked, mm-hmm. which is what Brick always thought should have happened. That would have been different, huh? King Brick Alec. always thought that it should have been uh, <laughs> King Alec. Yeah, Nira, Nira, I think, would have handled that a little differently. I don't know that she would have handled it well. I don't think she would have either. Not not that she couldn't have. I, I don't think she, as Alec, would have handled it well. Because right. Alec was so in love with the king. I, I, I think he might have broke. It was definitely hard on him. And uh, and to be fair, one of the reasons that I did, I arranged that the way I did with him passing it on to Brick, which, I mean, there were a lot of great reasons for the choice at the time, um, because Brick was very much, he cut the figure of a hero. He was somebody the king looked at and thought, well, the, the people who, get, who will rally behind him, you know, he's got the right image, and he has the right people surrounding him to help him be successful. And that was kind of his approach, where Alec didn't cut that same figure. He was a scholar, not a warrior. He didn't, he didn't uh, idealize strength. And that was just that wasn't necessarily what the king of that nation always needed. The monarch of that nation always needed. It was something that he felt that it needed in the wake of what was happening right then, because it was going to get dark. Because literally, the, yeah, <laughs> right. right. Yeah, I forgot about that. But you know what I mean. And yeah, uh, you know, Alec would necessarily would necessarily have made the best choice in that situation. But I also liked the drama it created because Alec had a problem with Brick on a personal level. And having Brick <laughs> chosen to succeed the king, who he did have such a he, he does such a fanboyish relationship with the king, um, was particularly painful and spiteful to him. Yeah, it was never the same after that. I do like creating drama, not hardship necessarily. It's not. I mean, it's not fun if it's not fun. But having seeing characters develop in interesting ways because they have to deal with the emotional toll of being who they are and dealing with what they're dealing with, uh, it just makes them so much more real and interesting. Yeah. Although I will say playing with Alec or playing with Nira specifically, the one-on-one interactions we had were not nearly as fun as the waffle days. <laughs> yeah. Things change. Things change. But uh, I, I think, um, I think that some of the characters in that group I probably wouldn't nail, necessarily nail down to their um, talents per se, but you can always nail them down to a premise, uh, except maybe Phlox who was like, dabbling in like several different skill sets and the very definition of multi-class. I was going to say, I think dabbling was her talent. Yeah. Right. And she was a gnome, I guess somehow it felt appropriate. But. Seems fair. But D and D also has this sort of like straight progression track that you were talking about that that's kind of built into everything they do. This, this leveled system where you start at this point, you know, and, and build your way up to here and it's all laid out for you pretty much. You and know, some, sis- and some systems are even more straightforward than others. And some of them have less, you know, options. They they just kind of they just kind of roll forward for you as is. You right. know, and some of them don't have a lot of breadth of progression. You know, where there's not a huge difference between a person who's progressed six or seven times and somebody who's just starting out. Like um, the last character I was creating, just creating the character was more than two years of progression with Brick. What which character are we talking about? What game we're we talking about? Uh, the kid, one for a kids uh, game. The, the one with uh, 5e plus advanced. Uh, the, the level up stuff. Yeah, level up. Level up. Up. 
Which know. was obviously a lot of work because we were trying to all d- dig into, dive into this new uh, variation on that D&D. That felt like my brain was turning into pudding. But level, stuff. Yeah, but level one felt like more work and more choices and more decisions than two years with Brick. And it really wasn't, <laughs> kind of wasn't but I get where it I get where that was. There's a lot more options that are based off your background. There was a lot of upfront brain pudding. Because when brain I pudding, yeah. build my characters, I do take the stat. I take the stats that they have, and then I try to justify with their background how they have those stats. And then that justification becomes my templates for playing the character. That's how your brain works. That is not how my brain works. Well, I know you <laughs> did, I know you didn't enjoy the process now, so we talked about that. But I think you enjoy the character that once he's actually kind of there. Once I get a character, yeah. Because he's got cool abilities. He does have some cool abilities. And, There's some neat stuff. But again, up. like like she was talking about the brain pudding, it was yeah. to get to the fun part was not fun. And we have gotten kind of used to for In new my D&D. opinion. We've got used to having D and D Beyond that does all the legwork for you, which is awesome. Oh and yeah, yeah. Have, I mean, just what a tool. That, that's been the that's been my saving grace with D and D for the last three years is the fact that if I really needed to make a character, I could go, okay, I have to, I have a few key decisions to make, and I hit a button, and it says pick one of these. Okay, <coughs> now what do I need? Pick two of these. Okay, now what do I need? Pick three of these. Whereas sitting with the book, going from page to page, and it's and, and it wasn't even consecutive pages. It's like, okay, you need <laughs> no. to look at 64 and 189 at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, there were some organizational things I think I would have done differently in that book. But I do like the the options. But it's mostly it's just it's like having a, a toy box at this point. It's, it's I want to I want to do this stuff with it. I want to play with it, and I want to see how much the options can enhance gameplay uh, in terms of creating, developing, and enjoying these characters. But by the same token, I don't necessarily want to make the game overly complicated. And I I do like kind of the balance they struck that with that on level up so far from what I've seen. But we haven't gotten enough chance to play with it. Yeah. We've only gotten a couple of sessions, and we've had constant disruptions of our schedule since then. So I love the options, but I do not like the crunch. We uh, the a couple weeks ago when I think it was you that couldn't make it, Jason. I think you were in the hospital. Yeah, and uh, we decided to do a Stargate scenario. We wrote up an SG team and, and played a Stargate scenario. Savage Fun. Rules, though. Savage Rules. But um, that was kind of cool. <laughs> we have Stargate for 5e, so we roll it up and do it in Savage Worlds because because me we yeah, had the I character know. sheet. It was just there. Because it was Savage easier Worlds. to do. Savage.us. Savage and, and again, having everything online that just kind of walks you through the process. Yeah. Not as not necessarily as comprehensively as C&D Beyond is because it doesn't have an interview built-in process. You know, it just has. Right. You know, no, but it's literally just moved from tab to tab. But it is just a tab series, you know, series of tabs where you just answer questions basically by picking stuff. Uh, so the Savage.us build is pretty good too. Yeah, that's another, that, that's another very handy tool. Although Savage Worlds is not necessarily as necessary. I mean, writing up characters by hand in Savage Worlds isn't exactly trying. Right. But it still breaks not down what trying. you already qualify for and what yeah. what you you don't, have don't to wonder about the math. For. Exactly. Right. Like yeah. if something requires strength D six, it'll only show you things that that you right. actually qualify for. And that's nice because I do get annoyed sometimes scrolling through all of the abilities and aces and things and going, "Ooh, that looks like a lot of." I don't have that. Exactly. <laughs> Ooh, that looks really cool, but I can't do it. Part of the idea there, of course, is to look at stuff that you could qualify for if you choose to take things that get you there. And knowing how to qualify for them is important, obviously. And that's where I did like the straight line progression of like Brick. You know? Yeah. I knew that A would lead to B, would lead to C, would lead to D, and this is where we would go. Good and point. then three quarters of the way through the campaign, you threw in Cyrillic. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. You say with like a shit-eating grin. You know what? I'm going to stand <laughs> by it because you know you guys keep coming back for my games. So jokes on you. If you don't like it, then <laughs> uh, okay. There, where's the, the door? door? And I'm going to cry. <laughs> if you, if don't, you don't leave me. If you don't like it, you'll you'll you won't be coming back. You, uh, you know, my name was Rich. Uh, oh wait, are we done? Are we done? Are we out of here? No. Dump, 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 so my my kind of um, my we kind can of leave. 
question you can <laughs> wait a second I, that just processed in my head we could leave <laughs> yes jason you could leave but but he's gonna not in the, the middle of, not in the middle of the podcast <laughs> we would miss you i would miss you too <laughs> Uh, so one of the things I was kind of wanting to explore here, though, is if you have um, skills that you build a character around, and you know that you're going to consequentially focus on that for the character's priorities. You know, when they deal with the challenge, they're going to look at it through the aspects of what their talents are. If you are a swordsman, you are going to look at answering problems with your sword as much as you can. Mm-hmm. When you are confronted with an issue that you can't, you either have to rely on a lesser talent or another character to help deal with the problem. In an ensemble game, like uh, where they have the niches like they do in, D- in, in D&D, then that is pretty clear. You know, that isn't always necessarily the case. And in, in other game systems, we play like Savage Worlds, where they don't have archetypes kind of built into what you're doing. And the scenarios in different genres don't necessarily need it. You know, you may just kind of depend on what your character skills are, because everybody's still building individual characters with their own abilities, typically, their own talents. Indeed. But how much do you build your characters, not just their actions, but their entire, their outlook, their identity on that? If all I'm, you know, if all I'm good with is a sword, then is my life about being swordy? Not necessarily. So back to Jackson. Jackson was built entirely to be, he's a writer. That's what he does. He writes stories. He follows people around. He goes on adventures. He writes stories. He's a fifth edition bard. He bard, bard, bardsy bards. And he's just supposed to do bardy things. And he um, he has that charisma. So, you know, he could talk his way through it, do whatever he needs to do, stay out of the combat. That's not what he became. So I think what I ended up having to justify is the fact that he goes out there with his rapier to make sure that the story sounds more interesting because he's still trying to make money selling his stories. But I've had to grow into that because he's become one of the frontline fighters out of necessity because we do a lot of fighting. We do. Again, we do. I love standing back and shooting an Eldritch Blast. And, uh, I mean, there's obviously, a, again, a, a kind of a plethora of talents to kind of rely on there, but you, you ended up shoring up an area where you perceive uh, maybe less of a weakness and more of an opportunity. To be taken. I have more healing spells than anything else in my bard repertoire. So, like, I'm literally on the front line with my rapier, and I'm also doing healing, and it's literally just to keep the party alive so I have a, an interesting story. Yeah, I can see that. Mine keeps people alive so she can have friends because she's a genasi. And she just recently <laughs> got... She's such a to, what? Gen- she's a genasi. She's a genasi. Yes. Yeah. That's why okay, she looks like a person on fire, which makes an interesting <laughs> thing when you enter a temple and you're like, I need my people back. And I'm like, where are you from? <laughs> That's none of your business. I need my people back. <laughs> exactly. <But> by that <laughs> same token, and I, and I don't mean necessarily that everything needs to be against type to be an alternative. Like, um, it's not necessarily productive to create a swordsman whose abilities focus on them be good with a sword who then uh, turns out to be a pacifist. Not that you can't do it and even make an interesting character out of it, but you're going to run afoul of having to deal with that contention all the fucking time if you're playing a game like Dungeons & Dragons where combat is such a principal, central part of the game. You're definitely not going to get first draw if you're a pacifist where you won't first strike. Right, and then and of course there's different levels of that. There's the kind of pacifist that won't fight unless they feel they have no choice, and then there's a pacifist that won't fight under any circumstances at all. Obviously, one of these makes more sense as a swordsman than the other, and I hope that as a player writing up your character, you try to make fucking sense of your character. But whatever makes you happy. Don't make a fighter that follows the way of the leaf. Right, for example. Oh, I think I've got my next character idea now. (laughs) Now, you could make a former fighter who follows the way of the leaf, but you better be exploring a new skill set, because I'm telling you, that ain't going to be fun. No. I've got an AC of 47. I'm just gonna run up and let everyone hit me. Gotcha. I'm a tank, but not the kind that fights back. (laughs) Come at me, bro. I'm more of a shield. That would definitely be a shield. I've got a lot of cheeks to turn. (laughs) I defeat my opponents by exhaustion. I keep putting myself in the way. You need a lot of mobility too, so you can keep putting yourself in the way, getting between the enemies and then your friends and stuff like that. Uh, so the uh, but but you can be a swordsman who isn't when people look at him don't think swordsman all the time. You can be a swordsman, for example, who is a charismatic um, story spinner or poet singer. You can be a swordsman who is um, 
mysterious and interesting and I spent a lot of time with arcane people like wizards or druids. You you can play a swordsman who is very faith driven, you know, just a fighter, but is very much very religious and you know devout and it makes his decisions based on that, those elements you know absolutely you can do these things and have a lot of fun with it and not be identified principally by that because in those situations you may find that as that swordsman you then start dealing with challenges as a person who is devoutly religious and will look for answers in that first or somebody right. who is um, used to arcane uh, mysteries and you know wants to make checks along those lines to see if they can figure something out first. You know, the, the sword is in the first place you go. I've, I've got the character background now. What's that? It's a, uh, it's a uh, Warforged human hybrid a la Robocop <laughs> where the human became self-aware after the implantation and they don't want to fight. <laughs> oh, my. Wow. And they still end up getting in these situations, but they're constantly fighting the urge to battle. Surrender creep. I think that there's a lot of opportunities there, but I've never actually uh, sat down and, and kind of lined out how to make it work. You know, and uh, Have you ever done that approach of the character, kind of made it so that where they shined wasn't about their talents, was about their personality in some way, and, and build their decision tree around that? I kind Not on of purpose. have done some things like that, but the problem is I had to stop because I needed to build more powerful characters to keep up with the 5e uh, difficulty table or else we were getting our asses handed to us in uh, combat constantly. That kind of happens anyway. Yeah, but I have to do a little bit of min-maxing on my character or else I don't have a playable character what and you we need end to up do losing. Is play a group of all fighters, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be the fighter that has a little bit of magic. As a pet pairs to the fighter that has a little bit of roguiness. It's Eldritch Knight. That's, that's healing. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, you. different. Yeah. I got you. Uh, and, and there's that too, of course, with the archetypes and stuff in the system. There's a lot more muddying. And of course, you can also multi-class and there's options. I don't think we should multi-class. Multi-classing I think is we should muddy. I'm talking about a group of fighters. I think muddy I'm fine with. I don't want to multi. If you have had any experience like that, I'd be really curious to hear about it. I think there's uh, something to be explored there. And I'd, I'd love to be able to give more advice about it. But it just kind of, you know, the adage is if everything looks like a hammer, or if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know, so I, I just feel like there's um, something to be garnered from considering whether or not character identity, there's something to be gained from building it around that very intrinsically, especially a sense of success in a lot of what you do. If you are really good at doing one thing and you do it consistently, then you're going to feel more often that you are successful at what you endeavor to do by nature, right? And then the systems that like um, Fate Accelerated where the thing that you do is you build characters that have skills in specific areas and then you find every excuse you can to use that type of skill to handle any challenge. It may not seem as easy as with a swordsman because, you know, it's a matter of whether or not a sword's going to deal with every challenge, not that it can't. I wouldn't necessarily build a straight swordsman if it accelerated, though. Uh, well, and that's another good point. It's, you know, are the limitations inherent? You know, can you only build a person with a, a particular style and substance that fits within a paradigm that the rules set out for you? Yeah. You know, with with class system like D&D, it kind of feels like it, but it doesn't even necessarily have to be. I like more options because it does give you more legitimate ways to branch your character and come up with new fresh ideas. But there's still ways to do it within a small set of core classes. We talk about Jonica's character flocks and how she was so kind of scattered in her talents, but she was she had a core concept yeah. that wasn't class oriented. She was a detective. She was an inspector, an investigator. And so those talents were from various disciplines um, as a wizard, as a rogue, uh, that she explored and made use of the skills that she got specifically towards being better at being a detective. That's a good focus, you know? though. Which was great when we were playing an investigative game. Right. But, it, I mean, it also made sense for her position when she became the head of the department she tended to keep in play the priorities that were congruent with her job as a, as an inspector. Um, also, you guys did a lot of like um, espionage and stuff like that. You know, some of the same talents were involved, but very different. You know, she had to focus on other skills when it came to being um, outright combatants. You know, outright defenders, things like that. Right. And she had those skills, but you know, you would you do water a character a little bit when you multi-class and, and make choices like that. She. Yeah, by the same token, you know, we mentioned Alec Deere's character and his core conceit. He was a doctor. This was a right. Victorian style game. 
it's you know he was a doctor he wasn't he she wrote him up as because originally the character of the game was in uh, Pathfinder she wrote him up as an alchemist class right because it was something that felt like it could lend itself to that concept and be productive you know be useful she still Absolutely. had skills in combat and and other skills besides you know yes. a lot of spellcasty type stuff definitely not the Frankenstein doctor no matter not, how many corpses quite. we right. find in the basement his basement and we did a 5e conversion and we had fun with it you know but it was also <laughs> still required a lot of kind of work to to make it the most effective all the time and i know at times that she kind of waffled on whether or not she'd made the right choices with the character to be who he was. In retrospect, there's always been some questions, but there's going to be. But he was always going to be good at being a doctor. It just also, you know, as part of the group and the, the, the challenges that you guys were, you know, presented with, those weren't always the skills that were going to matter. And right. Alec had to be able to rise to that occasion and be useful in those situations. And he was, you know. But you talk about Phlox's character and watering, you know, she was LaCroix. <laughs> she was a little bubbly a strawberry looked at this case as we filled it it's the, the types of drinks where you literally have to look at the outside of the can yeah. to know what the flavor is because tasting yeah. it's not going to tell you absolutely but they are bubbly they were bubbly but it was diluted it's all right and then again choices you, know, you gotta make choices and they, they were also responding to the uh like we were talking about responding to the challenges that they met in the campaign and the kind of the nature of those challenges how they built up over the game, course of the game you learn you know and that's one of the things as a player you can put yourself in your character's mindset this way you learn from your experiences you know the kind of fights that you have the kind of enemies you deal with the kind of um challenges you have to overcome the kind of goals that you're presented with yeah you know you learn from those and make choices based on your development based on those it doesn't always have to be some sort of static construct even if that's what jason wants uh <laughs> it doesn't have to be and, it have to be. and not all the players static, are me a static fighter not construct all the players, still would work fine in most situations in dnd it's not like it's a problem you know? yeah unless of course you're running a campaign where fighting isn't usually the the best way to accomplish your end in which case it's time to create a different type of character or at least make sure that you have other skills right you know you make your character you 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 water them down or whatever how you want to look at it you diversify. I think the only one that I've made that's been like a straight fighter, it was it worked as a straight fighter because there was a lot of fighting in that campaign. Well, you developed Phoenix, for example, with basically two functions. Yeah. She's artillery mm-hmm. and she's a healer. Yes. And those are the things that you've been able to rely on. Yes. You had to exercise a completely <laughs> different dynamic of the character a couple of weeks ago in order to deal with the situation that, that ever Yes, unrolled. because she wanted to save her friends. We have <laughs> so And didn't want to be alone in the desert. And did not want to be alone in the desert because we that's have, how you die. We have so many half healers in that group and we still lost a character. Yeah. Yeah, well. To be fair, one of the the, the characters is the one we lost. The, 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 the cleric <laughs> was, was the one the actual died. healer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So. Um, if you have anything to add to the conversation, want to let us know about your own experiences on it or have any questions for us, feel free to drop us a line, feedback at prismaticsunami.com. That's feedback at prismaticsunami.com. Or drop in our Discord server. We'd like to talk to you. It is there. I'll put the link in the show notes. Make sure you you come find us. Let us know who you are, how you doing. Uh, you can join the Patreon if you want to and support us that way as well, which is always fun. Um, I I think this is going to be a good year, and I, I got some fun stuff kind of planned. We'll, we'll be talking about some of the events and stuff ahead of us, and uh, we got uh, we got some great gaming on the horizon for our group, and we'll always be able to draw insights from that and and discuss that. But your uh, input as a listener is very valuable to us as well. You know, Indeed, frankly, we'd like to know you're still listening. Uh, no, it, let us know. No, we appreciate it. Uh, can go ahead and let everybody get on and get out of here. Uh, you gonna go do sports ball today? I've been doing sports ball. You've been doing sports ball. Is that what you've been over there touchdowning? I was about to say, you yeah. haven't seen like the, the hand oh, gestures. Oh, no, I've been ignoring <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. I get hand gestures of all kinds right now. What are you talking about? Yeah, but That's one fair. of those actually means touchdown. <clears throat> oh, see, it's sports ball. I'm out of touch. Can't you tell? We're recording during the AFC Championship game. No, there's that. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah, that but it's AFC, so who cares? <laughs> It's all good. I have no idea. I had nowhere to go to watch mm-hmm. it anyway, so I was probably going to watch it on my phone in my bedroom. So instead, I'm watching it on my phone while I record a podcast. It works. Uh, remarkable. It's, it is a it is a diverse, diversification of the best kinds. Right? Indeed. All right. Well, everybody have a great day. Thank you for joining us for episode number 271 of Metagamers Anonymous. My name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. And I'm still Vanessa. Wow. Go to a song to you,